with all those guys sitting on that same row right there. They look gorgeous. And gas is two forty eight. I mean, what's up with that? You don't have to leave now to go gas up. But, uh, it's Thanksgiving week. I want to remind you that because of the holidays, we will not have midweek um, classes on Wednesday night. A lot of folks traveling. It's tough for us to uh, round up teachers. So um, Wednesday night, we will not have classes. It is Thanksgiving week. A lot of traveling. Um, be careful on the roads. A lot of people coming in. Great time for family. I always remember my thing. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I always remember my, uh, my Thanksgiving days growing up. We would go to Clinton, Oklahoma, and we would usually eat at my, uh, my dad's mom and dad. always enjoyed that because my grandpa on my dad's side um, was a chef, owned his own restaurant. And, wow, he was, uh, he was phenomenal. Kelly always has said that when we got married, she didn't have to compete with my mom's cooking. She had to p- compete with my grandpa's cooking. So... Uh, Man, my grandpa couldn't. If Thanksgiving was so awesome. I mean, you, you can just smell it, can't you? Y'all are smelling something different than I am. <laughs> we are in a study of the book of Acts, and we're calling it Empowered to Witness. Today, I want to talk to you about being blind. About being blind. Let me illustrate this way. <clears throat> Shortly after we moved here, I'm not sure when. I think I've told you this story before, but Kelly was up in Oklahoma. I don't know if her mom was sick or had just passed away, but um, Spencer and Sydney and I loaded up to head up that way, and we played the ABC game. You ever played the ABC game where you try to spell out the alphabet using billboards and signs and tags or whatever? And so it was me and Sydney against Spencer. Well, so I'm rattling off all these letters. Sydney thinks I'm hogging, so I thought I need to let her find some letters. So I'd say, okay, Sydney, this, bill, this billboard right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. And we'd drive right by. Okay, Sydney, this billboard right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. And we'd drive on by. And I'm like, what are you, blind? And I turned, and she's just crying. She said, I can't see it. So when we got back, I took her to see Dr. Little here in town, and she was blind. <laughs> she... uh she needed some glasses. I felt bad. And so, uh, you know, Kelly blessed our kids with poor vision. I'm not done. She's nodding her head, yes. I blessed them with seasonal allergies. And so, depending on the time of the year, um, they get mad at both of us. So, Kelly's had LASIK surgery to correct her vision. Spencer's had LASIK surgery. Sydney um, didn't qualify, not that I, I stayed in a Holiday Inn Express one time, um, but because of her astigmatism, she couldn't have LASIK, so she had PRK about a month ago, two months ago. Um, so for the first time in like 17 years since she was about five, she can see perfectly. You know, when Kelly and I got married and her vision was so bad, I mean, if you've had bad vision, when you take your contacts out or your glasses off, when you can't see anything, it's frustrating. So Kelly would do that at night, take off her, uh, take her contacts out, and I'd walk in the room, and she would see a blur. I think she said it's been that way ever since. But anyway, um, her vision was so bad that I could just sit here and make faces and do whatever. And she's like, I know you're doing something. I just don't know what it is. So many of you know what it's like to have poor vision. And many of you wear glasses, and many of you all wear contacts, and some of you all have had corrective eye surgery. You know, when it comes to vision, there's, there's really 
You can be blind in other ways as well, not just physically blind. In fact, sometimes being blind has to do with understanding. You ever have a teacher in school and, and he or she explains something and then says, do you, do you see it? Do you get it? And you're like, yeah, I don't see it. And the teacher explains a little more or a classmate helps out and finally you say, oh, I see it now. So sometimes vision has to do with understanding. In fact, Jesus was pretty harsh on the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Five times in that one chapter, he says, Woe to you, blind guides, blind fools, blind men, blind guides, blind Pharisee. Now, they had sight, visual sight, but they were blind to the fact that the rules and regulations they were imposing on people, they weren't living that way themselves. They were being hypocrites. And Jesus said, are you blind? The things that you're asking people to do, you're not even... Do you not see what you're doing? So blindness can be more than just physical. I like what... Uh, well, let me see if i got another scripture. Look at this in Second Peter chapter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to... <clears throat> Maybe you've seen this before, so I'll read it fast. Add to your faith, goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly. If you possess these things in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind. So Peter says to Christian brothers and sisters, are you blind to the fact that you need to possess these things? If you possess these things, you see really well. If you don't possess these things, you're living a blind life. I like what uh, <clears throat> Max Licato says in his book, God Came Near. He says, Christianity in its purest form is nothing more than seeing Jesus. He writes about Bob Edens. He said for 51 years, Bob Edens was blind, couldn't see a thing. His world was a black hall of sounds and smells. He felt his way through five decades of darkness, and then, and then he could see. A skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation, and for the first time, Bob Edens had sight. He found it overwhelming. Bob Edens said, I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow. I don't have the words. I'm amazed by yellow, but red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. I can see the shape of the moon, and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving a, a vapor trail, and of course, the sun rises and sunsets. And at night, I look at the stars in the sky and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. Blind from birth, and he gets to see for the first time. You know, most of us in this room have had some kind of vision, some kind of sight our entire lives. So we don't know what it means to be blind from birth, but we are blind in some other ways. There's a story in Mark chapter 10 about a man called Bartimaeus, and as you start reading it, he's called Blind Bartimaeus. It's in Mark chapter 10. They came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, hollers out and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, hey, just hold it down. So he yells even louder. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and says, calling. And I like the terminology in Scripture. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. 
He's blind. How'd he get there? It's a large crowd. But Scripture just says he jumps to his feet as if he just went straight to Jesus. Maybe because sometimes blind people see better than those who have sight. The blind man said, Jesus said, what do you want? And the blind man said, I want to see. And immediately he received his sight. And then there's Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, I just love the terminology, two blind men followed him. How? It just says two blind men followed him. I'm not being derogatory. I'm not being mean. It's just that sometimes those who don't have physical sight see a whole lot better than those who do. Interesting, don't you think? How about Ephesians chapter 4? This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, as if your heart can see. Your translation may say the hardening of their hearts. Same word. Your heart can get hardened to where you can't see. Your heart can be blind and you can't see. So sometimes we're blind in many other ways. How many times, you know, you can spend a lifetime driving by something and never see it. Just be totally blind to it. You can spend a lifetime um, being near something and not see it. You can spend a lifetime being next to something or someone and not see it. Until you focus in on something, in essence, you're blind to what that is. You can drive by thousands of rainbows and never see the splendor of a rainbow. Somebody say, hey, did you see the rainbow? No, I didn't see it. Because we're not focused on it. We're not looking for that. We're blind to the beauties that God has given to us. So today, here's what I want to do. We're going to talk about a a guy in Scripture who was blind. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9, but let me, let me share a song with you. I'm, I'm not going to sing it. We're safe. Don't you find it interesting that we sing the song that Christian brothers and sisters, sisters will get together and we'll sing, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You're thinking, no, the people out there need to have their eyes open. And yet, we'll gather every week and sing songs that have to do with Side. I mean, why do Christian people have to sing on a regular basis, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. I guess because we go through stages of blindness. We go through periods where our sins so harden our hearts that we can't even see. That the things that we're doing blind us in different ways. So here's what's going on in Acts chapter 9. You remember in Acts chapter 7 and 8, Stephen preaches a sermon, and they weren't too happy with the sermon, so they they killed him. So in order to throw those stones better, they took off their cloaks, and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul was there giving approval to the death of Stephen. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now, this story is so important that Luke records it three times in Acts. Acts 9... Acts 22 and Acts 26. Let me tell you some from some other passages how he describes this guy named Saul. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I just want you to get a picture of who this guy is. He even says, I persecuted the followers of the way to their death. 
arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. He goes on to say, I was convinced that I ought to do all that, I was, all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did. I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. That's the guy we're reading about here in Acts chapter 9. His mission in life was to wipe out Christianity. His mission in life was to wipe out all the Christians. He was going to do everything within his power to make sure all the Jesus followers were either in jail or dead. Everything within his power. And if it wasn't within his power, he would go to the high priest and get letters from the high priest so that he had the authority to go and arrest Christian brothers and sisters. That's who we're talking about here. That's the guy we're talking about. And he thinks that everything he's doing is right. He thinks he's following Scripture, thinking he is right. And now he's got authority on his side. So he's got power, and he's got authority, and he's going to do whatever it takes. Now, let me tell you a little more about this guy named Saul, just so you get a picture. All right? He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Under Gamaliel, one of the great rabbis of the day, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as you are today. That's who we're talking about here. He's one of the most promising young Pharisees of the day. He's going to be one of the greatest leaders in Judaism. And he's got power on his side. What's interesting to me is he can spend his whole life studying Scripture Probably from the age of five, he's sitting at the feet of rabbis, people like Gamaliel, learning Old Testament Scripture. He can spend his whole life, if you will, going to church, his whole life going through Scripture, and never see Jesus. You do know it's possible to go to church your whole life and never see Jesus. You do know it's possible to, to have religion your whole life and... Never see Jesus. You're nodding your head. You know what I'm talking about. That's the guy who's fixing to see Jesus for the first time. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how can you be so blind? Interesting. That's what we usually say when we study with people. Now, how can you be so blind? It's black and white. How can you be so blind? It's right here. How can you be so blind? Probably the same way that we can be so blind. Probably the same way that we can come to church week after week after week and still be blind. Here's what's going on. As he neared Damascus, he's going from Jerusalem to Damascus. He's walking 140 miles just to throw people in jail. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. 
So the men traveling with Saul led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. For three days he was blind. And yet I'm going to venture to say he never saw better in his whole life. Kind of interesting, don't you think? He's got written authority to go to Damascus and find more Christians. He's got his hit men with him. He's probably got a hit list. He knows who he's going to. He's knowing who, he knows who he's going after. The first thing he's going to do is go to synagogues. And, and you got Jesus followers in synagogues. I'll just dra- I mean, if they're ready for the waiting. I'll just drag them off right out of the synagogue. And suddenly, a bright light, the terminology just envelops him, just contains him, just him. And a voice from heaven calls to him. A voice from heaven knows his name. A voice from heaven uses his name twice. And says, why are you persecuting me? You know that had to come as a surprise to him. Because the last thing he thought he was doing was anything against what God wanted him to do. And yet, here's a voice from heaven and he discovers it's Jesus. A voice from heaven from someone who he thinks is dead. A voice from heaven from the risen Christ. You know, the disciples were saying, hey, this Jesus, he's alive. The apostles were saying, this Jesus, he's alive. Stephen's saying, this Jesus, he's alive. And Saul's saying, you know, you're lying. You're wrong. He's dead. And now he's listening to the voice of the guy that obviously is not dead, saying, why are you doing what you're doing? Almost makes you wonder if Saul wants to say, I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. I'm doing exactly what I think I'm supposed to be doing. I'm doing exactly what I read in my Bible to do. He comes face to face with the risen Jesus. His plans were to go to Damascus and arrest Jesus' followers. And on the way to Damascus, he gets arrested by Jesus. Oh, don't think that's cool. I stole it. There's so much more to this story that you can read in Acts chapter 9. God sends a man named Ananias. You can go home and read Acts 9, Acts 22, 26. God sends a man named Ananias, and he tells Ananias, Hey, listen, I want you to go to see this guy. For all we know, Ananias was on the hit list. For all we know, Ananias is one of the guys that Saul's coming to throw in jail or kill. And Jesus, God, the Lord, appears to him and said, Look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go... Ananias may be one of the greatest heroes in this story because he submits to God and he goes. Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He says, don't you just love Scripture? He says, all the things that you might want to say to a guy who's been throwing Christians in jail and putting them to death. And he says, brother Saul. I have to ask the Lord about that someday. Why that? The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again. Physically. Because I think he's seeing pretty clearly right now. But physically. So you can see again. And we're studying Acts. Empowered to witness. 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Lord Jesus wanted me to come so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Don't you find that interesting? A couple of scriptures. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And immediately he got up and was baptized. And just two verses later, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. He's on his way to Damascus with power and authority. And he shows up in Damascus with power and authority of a different kind. Isn't that awesome? He's empowered by God now to witness for Jesus. At once, his life turns around... And instead of killing Christians and persecuting Christians, he's preaching Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. Saul never looked back. He never looked back. He set the world on fire. As you read through Acts, he took missionary journey after missionary journey after missionary journey, traveling thousands and thousands and thousands of miles because he saw Jesus. In fact, he tells about how persecuted he was In 2 Corinthians, he says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned, shipwrecked, spent a night and a day in the open sea, been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, countrymen, Gentiles, the city, the country, the sea, false brothers. I've labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Why? Why would you go through that? Why would you do that? What changed in his life? Well, this quote's so good, I wanted to put this up here. Max Licato, God came near. Something happens to a person who has witnessed his majesty. That's the terminology in the New Testament. We've seen his glory. We've witnessed his glory. We're eyewitnesses. He becomes addicted. One glimpse of the king and you're consumed by a desire to see more of him and say more about him. Pew warming is no longer an option. Junk religion will no longer suffice. Sensation seeking is needless. Once you've seen his face, you will forever long to see it again. For the first time, Saul sees Jesus. And at once, his life turns around And he lives in such a way that he's abused in such a way. Maybe that's why he said, for me me to live is Christ, which is what he did, and to die is gain. That's how he lived his entire life. How can a person be so blind? You ever had somebody tell you, how can you be so blind? Not talking about physical They're talking about your understanding. They're talking about the hardening of your heart. How can you be so blind? How can someone live their entire life and be so blind? How can someone go to worship their entire life and be so blind? How can someone study Scripture, go to church, be religious their entire lives and be so blind? I don't know, but... But we are. You know, Scripture says our sin blinds us to what we really need to see. Our pride blinds us to what we really need to see. Our 
arrogance blinds us, our stubbornness blinds us, our hardened hearts blind us. Let me go back to that one verse where Saul received the Holy Spirit. Saul was empowered. He couldn't have done all those things that we listed without power. And you can't do what God wants you to do without power. I'm not going to sit here, I've told you this before, stand here and tell you I understand everything about the Holy Spirit, but I do understand this. When you become a Jesus follower and God says, I'm going to put my Spirit in you, something changes. I've got some resource I've never had before. I'm able to do things, say things, stop things, change behavior I've never been able to do before because I've got the power of God in me to live for righteousness instead of being a slave to sin. I don't know that I can fully explain that, but God says, I'm going to give you my spirit to empower you. And that's what Saul was. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. And he went everywhere preaching that power of God. Saul gets his sight. Saul is able to see for the first time. So let me ask you some questions. Can you imagine what it'll be like one day to to see Jesus? I mean, face to face. I mean, if Christianity in its purest form is seeing Jesus, which I think that's why we're here, because we've, we've seen Jesus in some way. We've read scriptures and, and been enlightened and, and, and we're able to see. But can you imagine one day literally seeing Jesus face to face? Can you imagine what it'd be like for Saul, who persecuted the church, who tried to destroy the church? Can you imagine putting yourself in his shoes for him to see Jesus like he did on the road to Damascus? Wow. That had to be humbling. Can you imagine what it'll be like to see Jesus one day? Because one day we'll all see him in some shape, fashion, or form. Can you imagine what it'll be like one day to see Jesus if you've never responded to Him in any way? Again, it's possible to go to church your whole life and never see Jesus. You might be thinking today, yeah, I just don't see that. It's possible to live your life going to church every week and still sin, and that sin harden your heart. And that sin blinds you to what you need to do. I think you know what I'm talking about. There's people who speak into your life and there's people that you speak into their lives. And, and you say to them and they say to you, look, listen, you, you got a blind spot here. You need to see what you're doing. You need to see what you're saying. You need to see how you're living. How can we be so blind? I guess because sin continues to harden our hearts and harden our lives. I mean, maybe you're a Jesus follower today, but it's still possible that you're so hardened in following your own plans. I mean, Saul had his plans doing what he thought was right. And God had to change his plans. Sometimes we get so set in our plans that we just don't see what God wants us to see. I wrote this down this morning. I was just, I, was, I, I didn't know how to drive this home. So this is what hit me today. What does it mean to see Jesus? I think to see Jesus means 
you respond to Jesus, that you obey Jesus, you understand and you respond. Surely some scriptures left out. Surely there's some preaching in here where Ananias said, okay, look, here's what you need to do. But it just says at once something fell from his eyes and he got up and he was baptized. How do you know to do that? Well, I don't know. Maybe Jesus told him a little more in that conversation. Maybe Ananias told him a little more in that conversation. Maybe it's just the right thing to do to be baptized. And yet I've known people my whole life who've said, I am not going to be baptized. I don't know how to tell you any other way except your heart's hardened because Jesus says... You need to be baptized. So seeing Jesus means I do what Jesus tells me to do. I'm not being mean to you. I'm not hammering down on you. I'm just wanting you to understand that seeing Jesus means you obey Jesus. Seeing Jesus means you respond to Jesus. Seeing Jesus doesn't mean you get a little more hardened and you turn and walk away and say, I'm not doing that. Now, if you think I'm just picking on you because you've never been baptized, let me pick on baptized folks. It's amazing that baptized folks can still read through Scripture and say, I'm not doing that. I'm going to continue to treat my brother and sister that way. I'm going to continue to talk this way. I'm going to continue to live this way. And we're just as blind as the people that are never baptized that we say, how are you so blind? And they say, well, at least I see the sin in my life that you're not able to see. See, blindness comes in so many different forms. How's your vision today? Are you blind? Can you see Jesus today? Are you able to focus in on Jesus? The writer of Hebrews says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder of our faith. Will you fix your eyes on Jesus today? We offer the invitation of Jesus. It's not our invitation. It's the invitation of Jesus for you to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior to for you to respond to Jesus, you're not responding to our church, you're responding to Jesus to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. I felt like saying this, so the Spirit moved me, so here it is. Maybe it's my blindness. We baptized a 10, 12-year-old kid Wednesday night after church. He sees Jesus just fine. And yet the older we get, the blinder we get sometimes. Listen, folks, I, I don't want to make you a Church of Christ person. I want to make you a Christian, Christian. And when you're baptized into the name of Jesus, that's what you become. And when you're baptized into the name of Jesus, as we read in Acts chapter 2, God says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you can do what I want you to do. And live the way I want you to live. That's what I want you to have. I want you to have God's Spirit in you. And I want you to see. I want us to see. I just read the clock wrong. I'm sorry. Is it possible for a church to be blind to what God wants him to do? If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus, if you see him very clearly today, would you respond as we stand and sing?